Hello and welcome to episode Andrew Hammond of the Cosper Pointcast. I am your host, Trevor Shackles. The 2018 NHL draft concluded over the weekend, and to discuss the Senators' picks today is two-time guest and writer for The Athletic and Silver 7 Sens, Ari. Ari, how's it going? I'm okay. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, exactly. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad you could come on for a second time. And it's good to have you on today because you've done some great work with evaluating prospects this year. And it's exciting because Ottawa has eight new ones, obviously. So for today, we can just go through all the picks the Senators made, and we'll have a lot more to say for the first few picks, uh, but that's okay. So firstly then is, of course, Brady Kachuk from Boston University, who went fourth overall. Now let's start with the positive first, because most fans were pretty upset that Ottawa took him, myself included. But some people are also acting as if he's not a good prospect, which is just completely false. So I want to hear about your reasons to be excited about Kachuk as the Senators' new top prospect. Yeah, um, I think there's there's a fair amount of positive reasons to be excited about Brady Kachuk. And I think uh, many of the reasons why many fans, including myself, were, were maybe a little bit pessimistic, had very little to actually do with him and more to do with who the Senators passed up on whether that's a Philip Zadina, a Quinn Hughes, a Jesperi Kokaniemi. Um, I think it was more those players looked like higher ceilings, but I think there is a fair amount to be um, excited about for Tichuk. Uh Firstly, his size, he's six foot three, plays a modern power forward style of game. Um, even from like an analytics perspective or an underlying numbers perspective, um, in the NCAA this season, all of Kachuk's teammates had a, better goal differential with him on the ice than him off the ice and as an 18 year old forward which is very very rare um, playing in the NCAA um, I think that's a really positive sign it really shows not just um, that Kachuk can play but also that he has some two-way ability against players who are 19 20 21 22 Um, it's it's a good sign especially for his pro style of play that we've heard a lot about for sure and I I was actually going to mention those possession numbers as well. I, I remember looking at a graph that showed that he had really strong numbers throughout the entire year. And do you know if were his uh were his shot metrics similarly um similarly positive with, with his teammates? Yeah, so I think like Kachuk was probably a little bit unlucky this season. He had an individual shooting percentage of around six percent, um, which is why when people are kind of like the sound bite is, oh, Kachuk only had eight goals, but he's being projected as a goal-scoring forward. Um, I have two things to say about that. One is that, just like his brother Matthew, Kachuk to be a playmaking winger rather than a goal-scoring winger. Um, but that's not to say that he's not going to be a forward around the net. I think he's exactly going to be the kind of guy to drive the net, try to get dangerous shots from around tight. Um, but his individual shooting percentage this year was around 6%. He had solid shot metrics um, for a really good team in Boston University, um, playing alongside Shane Bowers, who was in the Andrew Hammond trade and is with Colorado <laughs> now, um, funnily enough. But um, yeah, like it, there's nothing really in his numbers that I guess said that he was going to be bad. It was just more in comparison to a defenseman in the same league like Quinn Hughes or a QMJHL forward like Philip Zadina um, that those kinds of comparisons positionally or league-wise can be hard to make, and I think many favored the latter two than Kachuk. But that's kind of what we're stuck with, and I think um, there is stuff to be excited about 
with a guy who can probably be ready sooner rather than later and play a style of um, game that Pierre Dorian and the Ottawa Sanders and the NHL, I think, are looking to see. For sure. And, and sticking with the positive for a second, you mentioned, too, that you know he's an 18-year-old playing in the NCAA. And I think the fact that he did have such a good freshman season is is positive looking forward because then you can say well you know if he's if he's already doing that well against guys who are mostly a few years older then maybe you can project out a bit and and you can see him getting getting even better and you know maybe maybe he isn't just a 40 to 50 point player who's strong both ways you know maybe he does have a bit of a higher ceiling um you know if, if he actually does become a 60 point player then you you really can't be mad with that pick at all. I, I think I would be thrilled if if he became that. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that there are reasons to be excited about getting him. Um, but as as you also said, I think passing up on Zadina might end up might end up biting them in the long run. Um, it, it'll take a few few years to see how, to see you know who's going to be the the better player, but I think when you have that fourth overall pick, I would much prefer going with the guy who has that higher ceiling. And I think most of the Senators fan base wanted that as well, just because, you know, Ottawa hasn't, they hadn't had a pick that high since Jason Spezza. So it's just rare for them to get such a high pick. Um, So yeah, I'm really hoping that Zadina isn't going to become some 40 goal scorer that Ottawa ended up passing up on. Yeah, um, and I think like especially with draft analyses, like even even you saying that like if Kachuk ends up as a sixty point four, we'll be thrilled. I think like if any player drafted ever ends up as a sixty point forward, we're absolutely thrilled. Yeah, um, Ma- Matthew was like had forty nine points last year, forty eight points the year before. Um, just the rarity of guys nowadays who can actually score 50 plus points is ridiculous. Like they're almost automatically a first liner. Um, for me, like, like I would even say that like high expectations is like Kachuk is like a 45 point winger who can play two way and like be an agitator. Like I'd be, I'd be okay with that. But most people you kind of would say that. And I think they'll think like 45 points and they're still kind of thinking of like back in the day when there were like 30, 30 goal scorers and stuff. And it's just, yeah. it's, it's not a thing. So even Zadina, who is a 44 goal scorer in the queue, um, him being a 40 goal scorer in the NHL nowadays will be extremely rare. But I think like, although I understand why fans with trades and with draft picks want to kind of say, well, like it's kind of too early to tell. Um, I think when we're evaluating the picks of the, of our favorite teams or the teams around the league, we can only evaluate it based on the information that they would have at this time, which the Ottawa Sanders looked at Brady Kachuk, looked at Philip Zadina, looked at Quinn Hughes, et cetera, et cetera, and decided, you know what, Brady Kachuk was our pick. And I think that's how we have to evaluate the decision. Um, sure, like we have absolutely no idea based on development and opportunity um, how all these different players are going to play out. Um, but the Senators at this point in time picked Kachuk over Zadina and we'll see if they learn to regret the decision um, or if they end up being thrilled with it we'll find out definitely and I think the second that Pierre Dorian said the words from Boston University when well, once that happened my, my heart dropped and I'm not gonna lie I was pretty upset but yeah taking taking time since then you know we've had we've had a few days since then I, I'm still am excited about 
um, about seeing Kachuk play. And um, I have a question for you. I I saw back in maybe May or, or April that there was talk about him for sure going back to Boston University for one more year. Was that confirmed or is he going to try to make the Senators um, for his rookie season? Yeah, so it's actually really interesting. Kachuk, to my understanding of the CBA and all that kind of stuff, which is um, which is okay. I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm an expert or anything like that, but um, Kachuk actually has a couple of options. A, he can go back to Boston University, and according to his Instagram feed, Shane Bowers has kind of commented on Brady Kachuk's draft picture. was like, smell you later, be you. Um, <laughs> it's kind of letting people think that maybe he's not going back there. BU very recently lost their head coach, David Quinn, to the New York Rangers. Um, so that, that program is going to be a little bit rebuilding-ish. Um, we don't know if Kachuk will want to go back to that environment. So that's A. B, he can actually join where Matthew played in London Knights with Alex Formanson. Um, they have his rights. So he okay. could go to the OHL, um, could potentially play a year with Formanson, and it will allow us to maybe make some cool comparisons with Matthew's production which is 107 points in 57 games in his draft year, kind of see, like, hey, like, where does Brady compare there? Um, the OHL would also, I think, give fans an estimation of where he's at compared to players in his age group. Um, but that's that's B. To my understanding, Brady can also play in the AHL. And I'm a little bit shady on that, and I, hmm. I do want to check that out. Um, but I think, and I've seen some some rumblings about it, that he could potentially play in Belleville because he's not subject to the CHL-AHL agreement. He he wasn't playing in the CHL. He was playing in college. Um, so technically, he could, quote-unquote, go pro early, um, leave Boston University after one year, and end up in the AHL. So that's a possibility. And D, I think Dorian's already confirmed that Kachuk will be at main camp. He was announced to be part of development camp. And I think um, Dorian was doing his normal like showboating of... Uh, Oh, like an NHL, like a, an Ottawa Sanders center already kind of said, I want Kachuk as my winger. We'll see cool. if that's if, <laughs> if that's showboating or what that is. But um, I think the Sanders will vary, especially with the trade of Mike Hoffman. There's room on, on the left side. Um, mm -hmm. I think they'll give Kachuk every opportunity to make the team. Um, whether he should be there is a completely different question. Um, but I think he's going to get the opportunity to get there as a fourth overall pick. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean... I do, I would like to see what he can do, but at the same time, I would be worried that you'd be hurting his development a bit. I think the best case scenario would be the AHL, but then again, if if he isn't going to be getting that much NHL time, I feel like he'd rather maybe just go back to go back to college or maybe even the OHL, like you had mentioned. So I didn't realize that, that there were that many options for him, but that that makes things uh, a lot more intriguing and. Um, you know, I, I could see a lot of people advocating for him making the team, and there's definitely some spots open, like you'd said, but um, I guess we'll have, to, we'll have to wait a few months to see what happens there. Um, but we can move on to their second pick of the first round, and that was defenseman Jacob Bernard Docker from the AJHL. Um, I will say before, before we get into the actual player, I was a huge fan of them moving down four spots. Uh, and getting that 40th, 48th overall pick as well. Um, now, in terms of the player, what are your thoughts on Bernard Docker? Yeah, so Colin Cudmore and I have been doing a whole bunch of draft work for Silver 7, um, profiling players, and it was really funny that 
Bernard Docker and Titronic, uh, who was the second round pick, um, were both profiled by us, but in reverse order. We kind of picked <laughs> Bernard Docker as like a, oh, like this is another interesting defenseman that could be taken in the third or fourth round. And Titronic was like, here's a defenseman that the Suns want to consider at 22. Um, clearly, Ottawa thought differently, and they know more, I guess, about where who may be taken first and all that stuff. But Bernard Docker was taken in the first round. Um, when we looked consensus-wise around the different scouting services and blogging services, the highest Bernard Docker was ranked was by TSN's Craig Button at 50th overall. Oh. Um, <laughs> but but he was he was a consensus second to third round pick. So it's not like the sense I don't think like reached per se. Yeah. Um, but he you can say with both of them combined that the Sens took the best two junior A defensemen in this draft class. Um, Bernard Docker is the the quote-unquote safer kind of guy. He was the defensive side of Tychonic. Um, he, but that doesn't mean he can't score. He had, he had 20 goals this year in the AJHL, which was Kale McCarr's league. Um, it's important to keep in mind that the AJHL, just like the BCHL, I guess, don't produce very many NHLers. Um, the BCHL produces more, but... Um, Bernard Docker's 41 points of 49 games was fourth among all under 18 skaters. He was um, the most productive under 18 blue liner in the last 15 years, other than Kale McCarr, um, who huh. went to Colorado and looks like a really good player. Um, so it's not that he doesn't have the offensive ability, but he seems to really kind of be um, a top four ceiling kind of guy with quick feet. Um, smart hockey sense and some offensive ability and going to a factory, which as it's being said now, not just by me, but by many people that North Dakota um, as a collegiate program is a factory for defensemen, not just Christian Wolanden, but many others and Bernard Docker and Tychonic are both going there. Um, I'm really surprised that Bernard Docker was taken first, um, not because that's a slight to the player, just because of where he was projected, but I think he and Tychonic look like two more additional Sens defensemen that aren't named Thomas Shabbat, Christian Yarosh, um, and Christian Wolanin, um, maybe Max Lejoie that have top four capabilities. And considering that Cody CC um, isn't someone who has top four capabilities and Eric Carlson may unfortunately be on his way out, the Sens need more of that. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy that they managed to get both of them. And the trade down, I think, was brilliant considering they gave up 33rd overall in the Zabinijad trade. Yeah, totally. I think we might as well um, you know, talk about them as a pair here. And I think that is really cool that they're going to both end up... Um, they, they weren't totally sure if they were going to be defense partners at North Dakota, but Tychonic think, thought that it was a good possibility. So I think that's very cool. I, I don't remember the last time Ottawa had two prospects like that. And... Um, also, they, they had played, I think, for years growing up in, in like spring hockey and stuff in Alberta. So they've known each other for quite a while. And yeah. I'm honestly more excited about the Tyconic pick rather than Bernard Docker, just because of it seems like he has a bit of a higher ceiling. Like you said, uh, Bernard Docker yeah. is more of a maybe a second pairing guy. But at the same time, they both seem like um, scouts and, and people from Ottawa had said that Bernard Docker is sort of a you know, a new age defenseman, a guy who can skate really well. He can, um, you know, he can, he can chip on, chip in on offense and he's not going to be just some stay at home defenseman that, um, is kind of like a Mark, Mark Borowiecki type that's just 
stands at the blue line and, and doesn't let guys in. So it seems like both of them have some skill. And, you know, like you had said, they are going to have some spots open in the next the next few years if, if they finally decide to move on from Cody Cece. Um, so it is nice to finally have more, I don't know if they're blue chip prospects per se, but at least solid prospects that have an opportunity to, to be in the Senators' top four, you know, as soon as, you know, maybe two years from now. Um, and uh, was there anything from Tyconic that, that caught your eye? I, I guess we might as well get, get into his game as well. Um, was there anything that, you know, you're really intrigued by from him? Yeah, I would say Tychonic's like the more the more rambunctious one. I think he's the like not just like his off ice personality, but he's also the like he's also the gambler. He's the one when they played together at the World Junior A Challenge, Tychonic was the one kind of like jumping up, taking the risks and sometimes getting caught and Bernard Docker was like the steady transition kind of type. They both had similar point totals, all that fun stuff. But Tyconic did play in the harder league. Um, like Bernard Docker, historically speaking, anytime you're taking a player from a lesser league, you at least want them to fare well historically. Tyconic does. Um, other than Duncan Keith, who's a Norris winner, Nashville's Dante Fabro, who looks really good, and Detroit's Genis- Dennis Cholowski, um, Tyconic is is um, next. He's next. He's the 48, 47 points and 47 40 games, sixth highest mark among under 18 defensemen in BCHL history. Um, he he looks fantastic, especially from the offensive side. He's going to have to, I think, learn a bit more of the defense, and that's what North Dakota is going to have to teach him. But I think um, he, he's got great offensive awareness. He's a little bit smaller, six feet, 174-ish, and therefore um, he's going to need to work more, I guess, on his gap control, containing larger forwards and cycle, um, really handling the stronger players better and making sure to use his lateral movement properly. But I think you're right in saying that I think both of them probably need like at least two years in college. Um, and then we can see if they're going to go to Belleville or if they're going to go to Ottawa or what that's going to be like. But um, it'd be cool to see them as a pair, especially because their skill sets seem to be complementary. Um, we'll see if Bernard Docker is fine letting Tyconic be the, the offensive side, because I think they can both do that. Um, but I think the modern NHL, when you think of really, really good defense groups, you think of Nashville, you think of Columbus with the Jones-Wierenski, you think of um, Carolina with like Pesci and Slavin. I think you need complementary players who are both transition movers, not the Mark Mathot, Tara Carlson, but they're both yeah. they're both good at puck moving. And I think like Ottawa could very easily have a future second pair here, which I think would be fantastic for the organization because they really haven't had that since the Stanley Cup finalist team in 2007, mm-hmm. um, which is a long time ago. So, Well, I mean, think about it. How awesome would it be if, you know, they spent two years at North Dakota and then in, what, in, in 2020, 2021, they just have a third pairing um, out of nowhere created from, from Tyconic and Bernard Docker. All of a sudden, they're just there on the team. And they've, you know, they've played with each other for a few years already. And they can just step into the lineup right away. I I think that's a bit wishful thinking, but you know it's a possibility that they they'll be ready at pretty much the same time, and that would just be incredible. I I don't remember. I feel like that's just extremely rare for any team to have for for two guys to to be playing like that. So 
I'm pretty excited to see about to see what they can do. And I'll be honest, like Tyconic is already becoming one of my favorite prospects. A because of his name just sounds really cool. B because of it seems like he has a real personality. He he gave some real answers at the draft. He didn't, you know, they weren't just just boring answers. He got some personality. And C, like you mentioned, he likes to get get up in the play and and I love defensemen who can actually chip in offensively. So the, um, you know, both those picks are Bernard Docker's not quite as exciting, but combined, I think, um, yeah, th- those are two pretty intriguing picks for the Senators. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're both. It's it's kind of funny that Bernard Docker's a couple months younger, but his team went further in the playoffs in the AJHL. Um, and I like clearly like Bernard Docker is the right shot in the sense picking him in the first round, like. It's interesting that like there's going to be a contrast between who the fans probably think as the higher pedigree guy like Tyconic yeah. and who who the NHL or slash like the Senators think are the higher pedigree guy, which is Bernard Docker. Um, but I think yeah, they're totally a package. And I was tweeting it was like funnily enough like Craig the sent social media guy to say like they're they're, they're going to have some content for you like they're, oh, yeah. they're going to be they're going to be <laughs> fun to follow. And I think for where we are as a franchise now, like having having some fun players who look to be modern and are going to a strong program and could potentially be on the roster when the Sens should be in the, in ready to transition out of whatever this retool is. I think, uh, I think they're great picks and uh, kudos to Trent Mann and his crew for identifying them. For sure. So then in the fourth round, Ottawa took American left winger, Jonathan Gruden, who some have called a potential steal where they got him. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, Gruden's an interesting guy. Um, he's, I, I think, like from a value perspective, some people said in a weaker draft class or like in a weaker U.S. development program, if someone put up Gruden's numbers, like he would have been maybe like a second round guy kind of thing. Um, I'm, I'm gonna try to like stay as far away from like the like stereotyping Gruden as I can, but I think in the fourth round where he was ranked, I think he's like a good pick. Um, he's actually going to go to Miami University of Ohio, which is where Chris Weidman played and um, played really, really well. And Gruden was someone who Trent Mann talked about as someone who played all around the lineup. So as a left winger, he kind of started off with like third, second line minutes in the U.S. development program. And by the end of the year, he was alongside Jack Hughes and Oliver Wallstrom, who were um, Jack Hughes is going to be the consensus first overall pick next year. And Wallstrom, as you know, was taken by the Islanders. Um Gruden, Gruden was up there, and I think he he has the compete and he has the skill to, I guess, play top six minutes at that level. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does with less talented line mates in Ohio, and I think that was the reason why I was down on Wallstrom, was like Hughes is, Hughes is McDavid-like, and I think anyone, me and you, could play alongside Hughes and maybe <laughs> still get 20 goals. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how Gruden tackles that, but I think, like as an energetic forward in the fourth round, like if he becomes a top nine player, I'm like super happy with that. I think he's three years probably in college and then we'll see some AHL time. Um, but I think, yeah, like he, he's, he's got good pedigree. Um, and I think he had decent production and it'll just be cool to keep track of how he does this year. and Next year um, will really give us a better understanding of how he does against tougher competition, but um, a cool, energetic, um, hardworking left winger who I think is solid as a fourth round pick. Right. And if he becomes Jean-Gabriel Pajot, 
who was also a fourth-round pick, then you're extremely happy with that, you know, a third-line winger or center. Um, and you did mention how it seemed like, I, I didn't look at previous teams, but it seemed like the, the U.S. under-18 team was pretty stacked. And obviously, yeah, if you are playing with Jack Hughes and, and Wallstrom and Farabee and, and all those guys, you your point totals might be a bit inflated. But it was interesting to see that he had really comparable numbers in his draft year to Colin White. Um, he actually did better in the USHL than White. He had 34 in 25 games, and White only had 17 in 20. So, And White obviously had, I think he had mono that season, and that was... That was one of the reasons why apparently he didn't do quite as well. But still, even if even if they're kind of similar, I think you know, like you said, maybe in another season in a in a weaker draft class, he might have gone in the second round. So, I mean, as a guy who's taken in the fourth round, if he has that kind of upside, um, you know, it's not going to be first line potential or anything. But a guy who put up decent numbers, I think that's that's still pretty exciting. Yeah, like he's he's always been in the peer group of like Farabee Wise, who was taken in the third round, and Wallstrom was taken in the first round, mm-hmm. and he's always been with them. So we, I think, ended up taking a guy later. But there's nothing to really to say, like empirically speaking, just looking at the quantitative stuff, like that Gruden should be treated any differently. Like there's no reason why he probably couldn't have been a third round pick or something like that. So um, the U.S. development program. I think is the model looking forward for hockey in terms of development. Like I'm surprised team Canada hasn't done something similar um, or Sweden has done something similar, but um, as you'll see next year, next year's draft class, like they're going to be stacked again. And yeah. the fact that Gruden was identified by their coaches and raised through that system, I think says really well about his ability to become a pro, whether that's a really good AHLer, whether that's a top nine NHLer, we're, we're going to figure that out. But um, empirically, he looks solid, and this is nothing really off about any of his skills. Um, maybe not a super high end, but I think, I think as a fourth round pick, you can't really complain that much about him. Mm-hmm. And moving on, in the fifth round, Ottawa took another fantastically named player in left winger Angus Crookshank from the BCHL uh, from the Langley Rivermen. Is there anything interesting about his game? Yeah, Angus is interesting. Like a lot of people, I think have have said like he has a motor and he plays with an edge and all that kind of like modern NHLer character, all yeah. that fun stuff. Um, when I see too much of that, like okay, let's let's take a step back and say none of those things in and of itself are a bad thing. Yes, I want players to have good character. Yes, I want players to be hardworking. Like yes, I want all of those things. Um, but when I only see those things and not so much about their skill, that's when I'm like, hmm, well, that's kind of interesting. Like, is it just that? And I think with Angus, um, it is just a lot of like, he works really hard and is good in the room. And we're kind of going to see how that goes um, in comparison. And he makes a really good contrast to like Tyconic, who played in this league also. Um, Angus is going to be going to the University of New Hampshire. Um, which is like a lesser-known NCAA program. Um, the Sens have had have had players go there before, and they haven't really turned out. We haven't signed anyone from there. And uh, he he did perform well in the BCHL. He was like uh, he was like sixth-ish in points per game uh, among under-19 players. So it's it's okay. He's an October birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some things that are like eh, like. 
I probably could have done something a little bit differently with this pick, but um, I think like he he fulfills the Sens' tendency to draft safer players who can maybe project safely as a pro. Um, my own personal draft philosophy and one that I would encourage a team to take is you take a top six guy or a top four guy or bust. Like you don't, there's no need to take third line projected guys because your top six guys, if they fail, they're probably going to end up being top nine guys. Um, and I think that's like the worry with a guy like Angus is, is can he um, really project as an NHLer? Um, and I think his couple years in UNH will be an indicator for that, but I'm not, um, I'm unfortunately, I don't think like I'm probably going to be a pessimist. Like I'm, I'm not looking to think that he's going to make my top twenty prospects or whatever of the Ottawa Senators anytime soon. Right, and and I agree with your draft method in that you don't want to be drafting for guys with a lower ceiling. But it seems like the last few years Ottawa is is really going for those safe picks. Um, and obviously, you, I'd love to see them go after you know, guys who have the potential to, to be top six players. I think Canucks got a guy, he might have been in the fifth round or the sixth round. It was, guy I can't pronounce his name, but it was some Russian slash Armenian guy who had like 100 points in the MHL, yeah. but he was a 20-year-old. Um, yeah. You know, I'd love to see picks like that, but that's really not the Senators' MO. And at the same time, in the fifth round, you're not going to be able to get, there's not going to be a ton of um, high-ceiling players available. Obviously, Every year, there's going to be one guy that ends up being much be- better than projected. But, yeah, I think it is funny how all those buzzwords you were saying earlier about high energy and stuff, that's kind of the stuff that, you know, Chris Neal would be... That's how Chris Neal would be described. You know, he's uh, he's got lots of energy. He's good in the room and stuff like that. So it does seem like, you know, Crookshank's numbers weren't terrible. So maybe he he can be a fine player. But... As you mentioned previously, he's probably just going to be probably going to be a third line player at best, and that's not the end of the world because it's the fifth round pick. But yeah, I, I guess it would have been nice for for them to go for a higher upside player. Yeah, and I guess like that's just where, and like the Sens do have a tendency, I guess, to draft safer. But I would say like the 20, 2015 draft looks fantastic, and yeah. their guys in the fourth fifth round were like Wolan and. Um, Christian Yarosh, like those were guys who maybe had they were a little bit riskier, but they they did have the higher ceiling. In in the fifth round in 2016, it was Max Lejoie who ended up um, like he may be a player. In the fourth round last year, it was Drake Batherson. So it's not that it's not that they don't take those riskier picks. But so I was kind of surprised this year to see like in the fifth round and the seventh round particularly, um, the Sens kind of went with the like safer players that I. I kind of was thinking that maybe they'd gotten out of that. Um, and I think like in Europe, maybe like if I, whether they've committed scouting resources to Europe or not, I'm I'm not sure. Clearly Pierre Doran and Trent Mann are just saying, well, like that's just how it turned up. Like we could, we totally have three European scouts and all that stuff. But um, I think that's where you can maybe get more value for taking someone higher ceiling that maybe another team hasn't seen as clearly. But um, yeah, they went with the, the tier two, college kind of guys and they said is that's just how it ended up but um that would be my worry with players like crookshank and players like like the two seventh rounders um is 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 that the right draft strategy 
to try to produce NHLers for the Ottawa Senators, or are you just drafting bodies because that's what you have with those picks? Um, I wouldn't personally. I would just, if I had a pick and I didn't really like anyone and no one was top six or top four, I'd be, hey, team, want to trade me your fifth rounder next year and you can take this one. Um, and I'd hope that next year's the lottery ball would go better. But that's me. So, No, I, I agreed on, on all those points. Let's move on to the sixth round then. And Ottawa took a goalie again this draft, and they uh, they took Cape Breton's Kevin Mandelays. And does he have a chance to become a good, as good of a prospect as someone like Philip Gustafson in a few years? Yeah, Mandelays is interesting. Like I actually didn't mind this pick at all, even though the the goalies, like the Sens, you could say, have some like goalie depth. He's actually really similar to Chris Dreger, who the Sens just. Let go as a uh, didn't didn't qualify him, but Dreger was a third round pick and Mandalay's a sixth round pick. Um, in the sense that he plays really similarly, he's he's a bigger goaltender, six foot four. Um, he's really aggressive and patient. Um, maybe kind of met on puck handling um, and maybe kind of met on speed, but um, I wouldn't look too much at his like his save percentage at Cape Breton this year was an uh, an eight eighty four. Yeah, um, not not super good, but he was he's an August twenty second birthday. Um, he's super young, and the fact that he got 37 games as a 17-year-old in the queue, I think, like, speaks volumes about the development that he's had. The Sens clearly, like, knew K. Breton well from drafting Drake Batherson, and Batherson had Mandalay's as a starter for the first half of the year. And I think uh, he was invited to the U18s for Team Canada, so he's kind of been on the radar for them, played in the under-17s for Canada Red, so... Um, I think he's had, he has decent pedigree. He was ranked by most scouting services to be in the like fourth, fifth round and was the number two ranked North American goalie. So like Mandalay's is the kind of guy that I'm like, hey, sixth round, like could potentially be something like could potentially be something as in like something more than a backup. I'm completely fine with this pick. And I think um, I hope he'll end up being something is the only CHLer from this draft that the Sens end up getting. Uh, but yeah, I I don't have any have any issues with him. Um, and in goal magazine, who's one like they're one of my must follows for for goalie analysis because admittedly I'm not not that great in it and I'm okay admitting that is uh, they ranked him seventh of their their top ten eligible goaltenders. Um, and I think that fares well for a sixth round pick and hopefully he he pans out after he fills out his frame. But a younger guy like I'm I'm down rolling the dice on him. You know, actually, it's funny that you mentioned the Ingle magazine because I actually had written down a quote here from from Greg Ballack, who does goaltending analysis for, analysis for Ingle, and he said um, he he was pretty excited with Ottawa getting Mandalay's, uh, you know, in the sixth round, and he said, uh, "quote Excellent size and great patience on his edges, which is probably his best attribute. It'll be interesting interesting to see if he gets any faster as he gets stronger. Good value pick on that right there." So. Yeah, that's getting him in the sixth round is pretty good, and you mentioned his his save percentage. I think it was eight eight four, which obviously doesn't look good. But at the same time, no goalie who's getting drafted in the QMJHL is really going to have a good save percentage. So I think once once he's got two more years under his belt in the queue, then maybe we can evaluate him a, a bit more. But yeah, it's hard to it's hard to really know with goalies being being drafted just because I mean save percentage doesn't really mean that much for these 17 18 year old players so I think I'll, I'll leave that analysis to 
to the experts, the guys who can actually um, evaluate goaltenders, like like you had said. So you know they do have a fair amount of goalie prospects now. They got Gustafsson, um, Hogberg, Joey Decord. Now they got um, Mandelays as well. So there are some options there, and yeah, I, I'm totally fine with this pick. Yeah, no, I agree. And so the last two picks in the seventh round, they weren't very well known as they took left winger Jakob Novak from the NAHL and right winger Luke Lohate. I think that's pronounced, pronouncing that right, from Minnesota. Yeah, sorry, Luke. Sorry? I said sorry, Luke, if we pronounced that right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's from Minnetonka High School. I couldn't find much information about either of them, but were you able to find something worth sharing about either of these two? Yeah, Novak, um, who's an American, so just in case you look at his name and you think otherwise. Um, the NAHL, the Sens actually drafted Todd Burgess in 2016, who is really, really similar. Right. <laughs> um, one, Burgess is 6'2", Novak 6'3". They were both double O Ragers, which means they were passed over twice. Um, and they both were the leading scorer of the NHL, NAHL at the time they were drafted. Burgess actually fared a little bit better, 95 points in 60 games. Um Novak was 73 and 56. Both were above point per game in the playoffs. Um, they seem really similar, and they're both kind of going to like eh, collegiate programs. Um, Burgess <laughs> at RPI and uh, Novak and Bentley, which is in the uh, the AHA, which is one of the more lesser known collegiate conferences. Um, in my mind, and like admittedly, like I will say all the time with this that like hey, like, I'm not a professional scout, so they're going to have information that I don't have. But just just looking at the boxcar stuff, his, his numbers and the program he's going to, um, I'm just I'm a little perplexed because I wouldn't say that if we say that good collegiate programs and we're going to talk up North Dakota as a really good collegiate program for Bernard Docker and Tyconic, wouldn't the fact that Novak's only going to Bentley is uh is a red flag or a question mark like it's mm-hmm. it's interesting how some things are brought up when they're to the benefit of the player um but when it's to the con of the player they're not brought up and in my mind trying to be evaluative um and i'm sure novak has some really good qualities again he's known as a hard worker he's known as a big body who can play kind of like a grit grind kind of game and crash the net and all that fun stuff but um if if he was if he was going to be that kind of game and you're going to draft him wouldn't a better collegiate program have recruited him and that's the kind of question that i would ask myself like why would he go to bentley then like why is he not going to a more established program and the Sens have drafted i think five high school players since pierre dorian's time as an ottawa senator i think in 2008 um none of them have turned out um tim boyle right tim (laughs) boyle brad pelts like it's they're not to say that like Okay, five is a really small sample size, but I think that there's maybe something there. And um, maybe I would take a gamble on a top scorer in a tier two league if he was identified by a good program and then was going to that. If he was going to a Michigan or a Boston or a Denver or something, then I'd say, hey, like, well, they clearly are a good program and they know something about him. Maybe he's going to have a good shot development. I don't know anyone at Bentley and maybe the Sens do. Um, but to my knowledge, looking through their history, they have not produced an NHLer, and to me, that doesn't make it likely that Novak's going to be one. Um, so it's unfortunate that I think there were some other good 
picks that were potentially available here, such as Sweden's Marcus Westfault that ended up going to Philadelphia. But um, like that's kind of where I would have looked instead. Um, and I don't think overagers are bad picks. I think like they can especially be more pro ready, but they need to have some kind of good sign. And him just dominating a tier two league, I don't think is enough by itself. Um, sure, we can chalk it up to being like, ah, sure, we'll give him a year in the NCAA or whatever. But um, and I'll chew my words gladly if I'm wrong. But I don't think there's there's good historical evidence for taking a player like Novak, unfortunately. Yeah, that does seem a bit strange. And the fact that I didn't realize that Bentley has never produced an NHL, that's that's not exactly encouraging news. And one thing that was weird when I was looking at Novak's stats, so yeah, he led the league in points, but he also had, I I think it was 131 penalty minutes in, yeah, in his 50-whatever game. So I don't know what is up with that. Um, I don't know if that's, he just got a ton of fights or he has a discipline problem, but I, I just thought that was kind of strange. Yeah, no, when I agree. And I think like low hit is actually like an interesting contrast. Like, okay, so there are some, there are some odd things like, okay, like the Sens again, drafting a high school age player, like they usually haven't turned out well. Um, low hits numbers in the Minnesota high school circuit, like aren't anything to like laugh about, I guess, like 30 points in, in 24 games. But there are some high schoolers that are under 18 and they're producing stuff like, um, like 61 points in 25 <laughs> games and yeah. 58 points in 25 games and all that kind of stuff. So it's not that his numbers point out, but the good things. One, he's a July 2000 birthday. So A, he's really young. B, he was identified by Penticton, which is the top BCHL program and where Tyconic played. So another good sign, like, hey, other talent evaluators see something in this kid. And C, um, not only was he the captain of Minnetonka, but he was identified by University of Minnesota Duluth, um, which went, uh, they always go deep, I think, in their conference. And um, they made the, they were the champions, I think, this year in the NCAA. Um, he was identified by their program to join them in 2019, 2020. So the fact that he has been identified by two top programs in two different leagues and is a younger player says something that even though his numbers may not be that good, well, maybe there's something there. Like maybe, and I'm a lot more willing as an evaluator, but also as a fan, to take a gamble on like, hmm, like I'll wait and see with him, which is different than Novak who produced better. But um I think I'm starting to understand that like good programs remain good because they do good things. And the fact that Lohit was identified, um, I think like I'm willing to give the kid a chance as a 17 year old right winger um, born in July, 2000. So. Yeah. I've never thought of it like that, but that, that is a good point that both Penticton and Minnesota Duluth have, have um, you know, liked something from his game. So you know, as a seventh round pick, the chances of him becoming an NHL player are, are pretty slim. So I can't really get too upset, even if, even if we might not necessarily love the pick. Um, but yeah, I, I think like it's not the end of the world if they're not like the highest upside players. But at the end of the day, like I, I like evaluating guys a year after and seeing how they did in their in their first year. So we'll get to see what he does in Penticton for low hate and then for Yo- um, sorry Novak. Um, you know, if he doesn't have if Novak doesn't have a really big year, I think we'll we'll kind of see that it wasn't the greatest pick. Uh, I mean, Todd Burgess 
he missed, I think, the 16-17 season. And I'm pretty yeah. sure this season he only scored one goal in, like, 30-something games. So that already doesn't look like the greatest pick. Um, and hopefully Novak doesn't have a, a similar first couple of years after getting drafted. Yeah, and I think, like, just from, like, a fan perspective, too, I'm completely bought into the philosophy of, like, be really pessimistic and set your expectations yeah. really low because <laughs> cause it's either A, like, you're right and, like, you set proper expectations and you can't be disappointed, or B, you're wrong and, therefore, the team has a really good player. Uh, both of those options look nice to me. Um, so I'd much <laughs> rather have that than, like, set expectations um, maybe a little too high and then end up frustrated or angry or whatever. You know, I think it's that's a better way to look at it. Ari, we're, we're Sens fans. I think we've already learned to to expect the absolute... Like, we're not we're not expecting anything at this point. Like, we're already at at the lowest point we can get, so I don't think... I don't think we've set our expectations too high moving forward. Yeah, when, when Sens Twitter becomes group therapy, I think we're... <laughs> we're uh, it's, yeah, the amount of things that have happened... The fact that, hey, we can actually discuss hockey right now instead of, like, <laughs> labor economics yes. and, like, arena politics. Right. So, hey, like, that's really nice. And I'm just glad to talk about prospects and stuff with you and hopefully the listeners because I think um, this is what we all want to do. But, yeah, it's unfortunate that that's the reality, I think, of the organization and stuff we've had to do. So, For sure. And so after all is said and done, we won't obviously be able to fully evaluate this draft for a few years. But... What are your immediate thoughts on this draft? And was there anything that stood out for you overall? Yeah, I think just like you identified, um, really, really good that the Sanders traded down. I think um, it was great. It was actually kind of funny to see the Leafs trade down right after and get <laughs> yeah. a worse package. Um, I was really like happy about that. Like That was a small victory for me. Um, and I think like the fact that they ended up with Tyconic and Bernard Docker um, really helped, especially because in comparison to other teams like Montreal and Detroit, who were in the division, also retooling, rebuilding, whatever you want to call it. Um, they had like eight, nine, ten picks, and a lot of them were in the top five rounds. Like we didn't, we didn't really have that. So I think that was a really good move. Um, I'm not as worried about Kachuk, I guess. Like sure, like we'll see if Zadina Hughes, which is who I kind of wanted, end up better. But I think he was a consensus like top 10 pick and most had him in the top five so whatever um i totally would have done a different late round draft strategy other than the goalie i think um low hit may end up being okay but um i would have kind of looked for for higher ceiling guys even though you're they're maybe not where your scouts are and it'll be interesting to see if this is a pattern that repeats with ottawa um because most of the scouts that have unfortunately left the organization were major junior or european scouts um, and where the Sanders have kind of had to rebuild their their scouting ranks have been in in Europe in the the CHL, and that means that the guys who are currently there um, are the college guys, like the NCA guys, and I think that they maybe have psychologically speaking more sway in the room. And that's just me hypothesizing; like I'm not in the room and I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see like if that ends up persisting because. The Sens record with college guys in comparison to Major Junior, as we saw in 2017, and in comparison to Europe, um, just in terms of raw picks and the amount of hits they've got by NHL games is lower. The Sens are worse in terms of NHL games played, drafting guys out of college. 
And with the way that the scouting group is currently assembled, that seems to be where they're going. And uh, um, we'll see in a couple of years of where those those trends end up going. But I kind of like some of the college picks, and I'm not so much of a fan of the other ones. Um, but hey, like eight new prospects after four last year um, means that they've added some quality depth. And I really am enticed by the ability to maybe have a legit second pair for the first time in 10 years. So yeah. we will see how that goes. For sure. That's an interesting hypothesis about the the lack of scouts. I think I think that could very well be the case. And it isn't necessarily terrible that they didn't draft any Europeans for the second straight year. Um, but I, I, I definitely think there would be something to that. I think they just probably have less resources over there. Um, and they probably just weren't that confident in, in picking those guys. So there probably was a bit of, you know, this is, this is my guy. Like Bernard Docker was their guy. Tyconic was their guy. They wanted him. Even if there was some, even if there were some good European players available. So I think it was some happenstance, but it probably also was due to the fact that they just, they just don't have those resources. And I believe that Pierre Dorian actually had to go over to Europe and was watching some games, and that just speaks to how how small their front office is right now. And that's you know that's a separate topic that we can get get into another time. But I think overall, would you agree that the draft was pretty solid, but could have been even better? Yeah, yeah. Like I'd say it's like a good old like C plus B minus B ish. Yeah, and um we'll see how it goes. And I think like for sure, like we're, we can only listen to the information that we get and do as much as we can with the, what's publicly available. Um, but I think like once we're aware of the limitations of that and the assumptions that we're making, we can totally still evaluate it. And I think, um, there's a fair amount to be excited about and a fair amount to be like, eh, over. And, uh, I think that's the case for most teams and most drafts, but it's okay to keep on striving for something better. And I think that's how I will always be as a fan. And I know there are many who are similar. So definitely. Um, all right. Well, I think we can finish it off there. I, I hope the listeners have learned a lot from this chat. Is there anything you want to plug before we sign off here? No, I think just uh, the fact that prospect analysis is actually becoming a really um big emerging growing field and if you're ever interested in it feel free to get in touch on twitter um or if you you want to get involved i think there are many many great follows out there um that will be willing to help you so um and your twitter handle is (laughs) carte cl so c-a-r-t-e-c-i-e-l um but you can I'm sure you can look through Trevor's followers and find me there too. So um, at Silver Seven Sens is where most of my writing is. And I think uh, um, we'll be happy to converse with you. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Ari. Thanks, Trevor. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And you can rate and review in those places as well. You can also follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS, and be sure to read my articles at HockeyBuzz.com, as I'll be covering everything that happens in the next few weeks. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, let me know. That's all for me. Adios.